Tony Baldy with you, Baldy Reports. With me, as always, is my good friend and fellow Marine, Joe Bitts. How's it going, Joe? Good, John. How are you? All right. It was a busy day at work. We're coming out of the, the tropical storm, Elsa. Yeah. They closed up the store on Friday, excuse me, Tuesday at 5, and then they reopened it at 1030. And I guess they just didn't want anybody driving just to be you know, on the safe side. So it was just a regular storm that we get every summer, but you never know with these tropical storms coming out of the Caribbean. Yeah. Let's see. So Friday, we had Friday off. Or, or being a federal holiday, if you work a government job, you had it off. So we went to the beach and I got burnt to a crisp. Yeah, but you were already pretty brown, but that's because you take those uh, pills or shots or whatever you take. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah, I'm sure we don't. <laughs> yeah, but the kids got, I don't know how geography works, but I guess if you're on an island, it's hotter than if you're maybe attached to land or if you're more on the coast versus like on a, a different, I don't know, because it just seemed a lot hotter out there. And it was a state park, so basically you couldn't get there only by ferry or a boat. Where'd you go? Uh, it's called Caladesi Island. It's right off Honeymoon. I think it's attached to Clearwater. So I hear you can walk to it from Clearwater, but you can't. And it's within swimming distance from Honeymoon. But the thing is that there is like, a, uh, I guess, an inlet and it's has a lot of traffic going through with boats and stuff like that. So... You're going to get ran over if you, you're going to get ran over by a boat if you try swimming it. Yeah, I think it would be not practical for you to swim, considering you got a wife, two kids, the youngest one being five. No, I'm just saying, say you and I with the honeymoon, we could be uh, like, let's try swimming there. But it's Well, I would make it. I don't know about you. Now, also, then I got some snorkel stuff for scalloping in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I saw that when you were last time I was over at your house. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And it works fine. But the, I tried taking it on the island and tried like snorkeling. But I guess it, the water was just so churned up by the, the storm coming in that I couldn't see. I couldn't see crap. You got plenty of time. It's not like it's you got plenty of time. Florida is always fairly warm, even in the wintertime. So you'll yeah. be good. I was just practicing in my pool, but you can only do so much in there. That's like, I guess, like a, a shark in a, like an aquarium. Kind of like that. You're just like, you're only like, Got, you're only limited to space. You do what you got to do, but uh, you'll get out there. Yeah. So what about you? All I did was work over the weekend. I worked Saturday. I think I'm working almost 10 hours on Saturday. Sunday was just church up in the morning, early afternoon, had a church meeting. Nothing earth shattered. I just stayed home, really. And that was it. Then I heard all you know the fire. It was fireworks. It was just odd that Fourth of July being on a Sunday. So what do you think about them associating the American flag with a certain, I guess, political view? Did you hear about that? Yeah, a lot of people are associated with the American flag of being racist. It's It doesn't represent me because it has these white supremacist overtones. I read somewhere where if someone flies the American flag, I know exactly who they are. I don't but, want to associate with them. That was the leader of Black Lives Matter, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Black Lives Matter. And it's just, it's ironic that they think this. And the question I would ask them, if you don't like America, and I'm not saying America's perfect, we have our dark period. Like I said in a previous podcast on 4th of July, we had slavery and we need to teach Americans about slavery, about what's the word I'm looking for. Anyway, the aftermaths of slavery. We need to teach about Jim Crow laws and how it was reprehensible, how they treated the African-American community. But at the same time, we also need to 
realize we had positive things. And I just read a, what's interesting, I read a, a 4th of July address by Frederick Douglass in 1853. And it ducktails off with Maxine Waters talked about how the Declaration of Independence was wrong, it's racist, whatever. And it always was. But what Frederick Douglass says, he was, the title was something like the slave and 4th of July or something like that. I can't remember the exact term. But if you read through it, and I read through it last night, he supports the Declaration of Independence. He thought it was the greatest document written. He supported our founders, who were great men. What he said was exactly what Abraham Lincoln stated a few years later in 1858 during the Lincoln-Douglas debate. And what he said that during that period, for our listeners' sake, during the 1850, there was more Bibles published and printed than any time in our history. And so what Abraham Lincoln did, this was all about the slavery issue. And he told Stephen Douglas, who was a Democratic opponent, is let's take our Declaration of Independence where it says all men are created equal. If we all believe in God, God created all men are equal. How can some be free and some not? Yeah, that was the crux of his argument. And that was the crux of the argument that Frederick Douglass made in 1853. And that was exactly the same argument that Martin Luther King made in his I Have a Dream speech. We're not perfect. We need to do we need to adhere to those that promise, as Martin Luther King said, the promissory note was never fulfilled for African Americans. Mm -hmm. But fast forward to 2021, we had a black president. If he made up 14 blacks made up 14% of the population, how did he get to be president? He needed a vast majority of white Americans to vote for. Then we had two secretary of states were black, two attorney generals were black. We have a defense secretary who's currently black. So can more be done? Yes. But to say that America is systemically racist, maybe a reach. So going in, you mentioned about, I heard it briefly the other day about a cyber attack. So what is going on? What is, what happened? There was another cyber attack and they're looking at it. It came from Russian criminal elements inside Russia and it hacked into, I think it was like a thousand businesses across the world. Now, some of our cyber experts said it did minimal damage here to America, but this is another attack coming from Russia. And if you remember last month, I think it was last month, President Biden, when he was at the NATO summit and the G7 summit, later on met with Russian President Vladimir Putin. And he told, don't be doing this or there's going to be repercussions. So the red line has been drawn and it happened again. What does Joe Biden do? Now, the Wall Street Journal editorial board says, you threw down a red line. It's now been crossed by Russia. Now, anybody who says that Russia, Russian President Vladimir Putin didn't know, I would sell him a bridge in Arizona. He knows everything that goes on in his country. Yeah. So the question for Joe Biden, what does he do? He's the one that threw the red line. It's reminiscent of the red line that President Obama threw down in Syria. And when it was crossed, he didn't act. This could have ramifications for U.S. foreign policy if Joe Biden doesn't respond to this latest threat. It just, it just goes to show that you all talk and you're not in the action. But Joe, it has real world implications. When Joe, President Obama threw the red line down in 2012, and in 2013, chemical weapons were used against Syrian civilians, he did, and he was about ready to bomb Syria, and then he's pulled back, 
that sent shockwaves and even James Mattis, the former Secretary of Defense under Donald Trump, and he was also the CENTCOM commander under Barack Obama, stated this was the shot not heard around the world. Once you make a once you make a bluff, you better be prepared to have your bluff called. And then after that, in 2014, Russia went into Crimea, eastern Ukraine, and then Russia got heavily involved in Syria because they had no they didn't fear the United States. And then uh, China did the same thing in the South China Sea. So all these things have ramifications. So if you're going to bluff, you better be prepared to have your bluff called and you better have a plan what's going to happen after that. Okay, why is it our concern? Why are we getting a business of something else? Let Russia do whatever they want. Or is that just why do we need to get involved? Why do we why doesn't America just focus on, I don't know, America versus versus what Russia is doing? But when Russia can shut down an energy sector like Colonial Pipeline, it put a ransomware and they Colonial Pipeline gave these criminal elements millions of dollars. And look at the disruption it did throughout the eastern seaboard. We got affected a little bit here in Florida, but up in Georgia, through the Carolinas, up into Virginia, their gas stations are virtually shut down. So that definitely impacts the economic viability of the United States. Yeah, but okay. so going back to the cyber, it was Russia that was involved when it came to. It was Russian criminal elements. And no one says Russia, the Russian government did it. But did they know about it? It's hardly it's highly unlikely that Vladimir Putin, who runs a very authoritative government, didn't know cyber criminals emanating from Russia were targeting the United States, knowing that if they did in success, we would retaliate in kind. He didn't wouldn't want that. So he would know everything that goes on that directly would implicate Russia in any capacity. Okay. So we also got something else going on. We have America pulling out of Afghanistan after Correct. how many years? years? Yeah. Years this October. What's going on with that? You brought up a couple of good points when we were talking on the phone. Just get your take. And are, is he making the right move? Is this something that Donald Trump had plans for? Donald Trump originally had plans for us to get out of Afghanistan. Now, the problem with Donald Trump, he took more of a business approach to it. And he got with his national security leaders. And this is, I think, where he clashed with General Mattis, especially as it relates to Iraq and Syria. But this is uh, Afghanistan. Our national security and military leaders said we shouldn't pull out. And Don, like I said, Donald Trump took a business approach, which was like, what are we trying to accomplish that we're spending all this money and the lives of our troops. Now, Joe Biden, I think he was taking more of a political stance because the base of the Democratic Party wants us out of these wars. The real problem, and I listened to a lot of the experts, and I was watching Fox this news this, this evening, and there's a program, it's called Brett Bear Special Report, but he had a, Shannon Bream was filling in for Brett Bear. At the end of the show, almost, they have the Fox kind of all-stars, the panel gets on. And Molly Hemingway from The Federalist basically said, we've done this for 20 years. We gave it our best shot to provide democracy. We tried, didn't make it, tried somewhere. We did succeed in some areas, but it's time to move on. I just think that she made a miscalculation of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. To me, this was a colossal failure of our entire national security apparatus. This includes Republicans and Democrats. We all tried to go in with the strong centralized government in Kabul when it's a tribal system. Tribal systems don't have a centralized government. Everything is at the tribal level or the provincial level. 
And then the other part is we never did anything or solved the problem with Pakistan. This is where the Taliban reside. This is where they get their funding. So if we're just going to do the same strategy that we've been doing for 20 years, yeah, I'm in favor of pulling out. But if we want to take a broader view, we need to look the regional countries around them. We also need to look at how we're going to deal with Pakistan because the Taliban is going to look at this and other terror groups as we defeated the mighty superpower of the United States. And people need to understand they think differently than we do. Yeah. It's not how we see things, it's how they see. It. And what about maybe the ramifications of us pulling out? Is there going to be like a power vacuum or you made mention of the people that helped out the Americans when we were over there? That kind of leaves them as potential targets when we leave. You know, you're exactly correct that there's two different schools of thought. One of them, for many people who are who follow national security or in that arena, are liking it to 1975 Saigon when we had the helicopter on the roof taking off, leaving the embassy and leaving all these people behind. And President Biden was speaking today and he's, he has full confidence that the Afghans can stand up to the Taliban. To me, there's so far that I've been reading, there's no evidence to support that. Yeah. And then the other aspect is he doesn't believe the Taliban is going to do what everybody suspects they're going to do is take us. It's not going to be another Saigon. But his thought process, I think, is very fatally flawed. Yeah. Like he thinks the Taliban has, has got this most most capable army, a very capable army, just like we see around the world. They were doing decent because American air power was the backbone. Yeah, they've been doing most of the fighting for seven years, but that's because they've been covered by American air power. Hmm. That's gone. Yeah, go on. No, that's gone. And they're starting to see the Taliban take more and more areas. Now, the question is, if the Taliban masses in a mass fight, does the United States come in and take them out with their drones or our fighter bombers or whatever missile strikes, whatever we do? So it's still not over yet. We're just going to have to see what transpires, but I'm not optimistic that it's going to turn out well. So I did want to go into maybe uh, Biden a little bit because well, I think I've said it before on a show is just I'm not really comp. I, you know, wholeheartedly recognize him as our president, but I just don't feel like he's being the president, if, if that makes sense. No, that does. That's there's theories about this. We're seeing when he came out of the, this Russian cyber attack, he had his talking points in front of him with his notes and he stumbled very badly reading his own notes. So, so I guess it's known that when you're president of the United States, you're probably the most, they would consider you the most powerful person in the world. Correct. Okay. So does Joe Biden seem or feel like powerful person in the world? And if he doesn't, who is the most powerful person? In the world? That's the, okay. The reason why the United States is the most powerful or the president of the United States is the most powerful person in the world. Because only America can move just from the military standpoint. Our military forces are all over the place. No other country can duplicate that. And the world saw that the United States can go into Afghanistan, can go into these regions of the world. And we sustained the military operations, what, 10,000 miles away for 20 years. No other country can do that. Now, the other aspect economically, our economy, even though China's number two and growing pretty rapidly, our economy is still light years ahead of anybody else. 
So you factor in that. Now, the other side, our adversaries are looking at the United States and they see a weakness in Joe Biden. And then our allies are not exactly thrilled who is number two, because when Kamala Harris went down to Guatemala and Honduras and Mexico for a trip last month to visit the the border and then the Northern Triangle for all the uh, migrants coming in illegally, she was clueless. She really didn't have the knowledge of what was going on. And when Lester Holt asked her, you go into the border and she goes, we've been to the border. He goes, but you haven't. I haven't been to Europe either. And Mm -hmm. even the people in the Biden White House were dismayed that she's really not the best when she you ask unscripted answer or excuse me unscripted questions yeah and they said that she's not going to be a decent contender for the 2024 election yeah and this is coming from democratic insiders then they never gave their names and that report came out of politico which is a left-leaning news outlet so there is concern that she is not the number the capable vice president that you need. So, yeah, and, and then she would probably be considered, I want to say a shoe-in, but she would definitely be considered for the next term if Biden's going to be a one-term president. Exactly. She is always, the, all vice presidents, especially in the modern era, are seen as front runners when their time comes to run. It's just like for Mike Pence. He could be looked at as a front. It could be him. It could be uh, Governor DeSantis. But all vice presidents are looked at that. But see, when Kamala Harris ran the first her on her own, she came out really well. Then when she started pushing policy, she didn't have a command of health care. And it was and she faltered badly. Tulsi, remember the debate and Tulsi Gabbard just sliced and diced it like it was she was a, like a, a Ginsu knife. Yeah. And then she, the, the president plays identity politics and look what he got stuck with. Yeah. And he, he there were other candidates he could have picked if he was looking for a, a woman of color. Kamala Harris says she brings California. California was not going Republican anytime soon. Mm. He could have picked Val Demings. He could have picked and she was a police chief. She could have got some interesting uh, fall help to him with this crime surge. Yeah, not Stacey A, but there was Karen Bass of California. If he was looking at a woman of color from California, Karen Bass was one of the top considerations. There were others, and I'm not so sure why he settled on Kamala Harris. We all don't know. So it was said that he has 60 plus advisors. Do you believe that? I haven't heard that, but I know that during the Obama administration, President Obama had a huge number of advisors, especially at the National Security Council. This is where when Trump re-altered it, he took a lot of heat for that. It was so big and he just whittled it down to what was almost a model when Brent Scowcroft was a national security advisor for George H.W. Bush. So I wouldn't be surprised if he has a lot of advisors. Yeah. And then so that just just doesn't really instill a lot of confidence in me and the, the president because he needs so many people knowledgeable about something that he's supposed to act on. The thing is, it's not so many advisors as he has is when Joe Biden gets up there and speaks like he did with the, the Russian hacking, this recent one. He just looked clueless. You get advice and you get a briefing. And before they put you out there, you got it's just like when we were in the military. You got to spin yourself up on different topics and you got to know your subject matter. Yeah. We I don't expect President Biden to be on an expert on everything. You can't. President Biden 
was vice president for eight years under Barack Obama. He was either the ranking member or the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And it just seems like this whole thing with Afghanistan, like he didn't understand the whole culture, the history or the dynamics of what's going on. Yeah, that's my concern is he doesn't know as much as he should know. And he's been in there longer than our previous president was only in in politics for four years. So this guy's been in politics for 40 plus years and you don't know. And that's the point. He has a Washington expertise, but he doesn't have practical foreign policy or military experience considering he's been in the Senate since January of 1973. I was going into... Let's see, fourth, fifth, I think fifth grade. No, I was going into fourth grade. I was in third or fourth grade when he became vice president, became a U.S. senator. I'm 56 now. So he's been part of everything on foreign policy with China. He was part of the war in Iraq. He voted for. He supported the war going into Afghanistan. Then when it didn't turn out well, then he changed his mind when he became vice president. So that's my concern. He's not as not even Robert Gates, the former secretary of defense under both Bush Jr. and President Obama said. He's a nice guy, but he's been wrong on every foreign policy decision in the last 40 years. And then Gates was asked that question again. He goes, nice guy, but I stand by my remarks. So going back to Afghanistan for a minute, you were in Afghanistan, right? Twice. Okay. And then how many times were you in Iraq? Once in Iraq. Okay. So you're in Afghanistan twice. Did you see any combat over there? Not really. I was always, because I was senior in rank when I first went to Afghanistan. So I was on a command staff Mm -hmm. up in Bagram when they first went in. And then the second time I was on the division staff in civil affairs in 2012. But I always, I saw more of the strategic aspect of it. And then I studied it in in my master's program. And I actually wrote a paper on Afghanistan that was well-received. I even had a Pakistani and a former Pakistani ambassador said that this would never happen in my country, whereas NCO could write such a compelling, thought-provoking article. This guy knows what he's talking about. Maybe you should uh, re-release that article. Yeah. Or that maybe so that the listeners and then other people that are going to Boulder Reports can take a look at it. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll re-release it so they can take a list. This was written in 2010 as part of one of my, I can't remember for what class, but I know it had to do with, uh, it was all about foreign policy. So I'll re-release it. That's not a bad idea. So going into civil affairs, though, what were you mostly doing with when you were doing that? The civil affairs I was part of, I was at the, like I stated, I was at the uh, the command staff. We were looking at the whole overview of the Hellman province that the Marines were part of. And what civil affairs does is we try to get the civilians away from military operations. But what we were doing was trying to rebuild Afghanistan. And part of the thing that was flawed is we tried to put a central government in Kabul when everything has always been done at the tribal or the provincial level. And I, I likened it to our Articles of Confederation after the revolution, where we had a weak central government and the power was at the, uh, the state level. That's what they should have done. But they're not going to listen to me, so you you muckle on. Yeah, what do you know? What do I know? And it's interesting. I was there when they had this this force overview brief with all the different players in the region, and I remember this one State Department guy gets up there, 
and he's very smart, very capable, but he was like, if only we did this. And I'm like, buddy, I was here. I wish I could say this because I couldn't, but because of my rank, because this was all generals and colonels. I, I wanted to say, goes, buddy, I was here 10 years ago in 2002. It's 2012 and we're no further along than we were back then. Yeah. And so it really wasn't that much on my end when I was in Iraq. But do we have any troops in Iraq? We do. We have. They're getting actually bombed by Iranian proxy forces by using drones and other um, artillery and other rockets and stuff. So we still have them on the border of Iraq, um, Syria, trying to fight the, the final remnants of ISIS. All right. Do you have anything else in regards to the subject? The only thing is the same thing that we did in Afghanistan. We replicated in Iraq. We didn't have a plan, but they call it phase four. What happens next? And that's causing the problem. We're fighting these tactical battles, but we haven't come up. What are we trying to accomplish? If we're trying to keep Iran out, we're not doing a very good job of empowering the, the Iraqi government to be more inclusive. And everybody keeps going back to nation building. We don't need to do that. We can work with our Arab allies. They want the same thing. They want a, a stable Iraq to be a bulwark against Iran. Work with our allies in the region to stabilize Iraq as best we can. All right. So we are working on our live stream and we are also working on the Patreon. Just keep an eye out for that when we when it does come out. And John, how can they get a hold of us? You can get a hold of us by going to Ubaldi Reports at gmail.com. That's Ubaldi Reports at gmail.com. Or you can go to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, type in Ubaldi Reports. If you go to Facebook, check out Ubaldi Reports group. You can catch us out there. All right. So everybody have a good day and we will talk to you soon. All right. Take it easy. Keep listening to you. Bobby report. Bye.